Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to another insightful episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have a treat for you this week as I sat down with Tim Lucas, founder and lead pastor of Liquid Church in New Jersey. Tim is one of the leading pastors in the U.S., Liquid Church, which Tim planted on accident from a gathering of about a dozen 20-somethings, has been named one of America's 100 fastest-growing churches by Outreach Magazine. The church has been blessed with true kingdom growth as they've reached people far from God, baptizing over 2,400 Christ followers to date. Tim's latest book, entitled Liquid Church, shares biblical principles to saturate your city with the hope of Jesus. Tim will be sharing at the Outreach Summit here in beautiful Colorado Springs this October, along with several other ministry leaders focused on impacting our cities with the gospel. And you can learn more, including how you and your team can join us at OutreachSummit.org. Now, on this week's episode, Tim and I discuss some of the important lessons that he has learned as a church planter and pastor. Tim shares some of the unique ways that they are building genuine relationships with people, including through ministering to families with special needs children. This really is a beautiful picture of the kingdom, and I love what Tim and his church are doing. Tim shares the importance of a God-sized vision— and why we need to keep an open mind so we do not miss what the Spirit is doing in our midst. So many great insights from Tim, so please won't you join me in my conversation with Tim Lucas. Tim, I am looking forward to our conversation today, brother. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Oh, it's a joy to be here, Jason. Thrilled. I'm an avid listener. That's good. I like to hear that. I like to hear that. Yeah, and Tim, uh, you have been... Doing some some amazing things. God's been doing some amazing things through you and through your church there in New Jersey, Liquid Church. And it's been a joy to have had the opportunity to, to get to know you and and hear your story. And I'm excited to be able to share a, a bit of that story uh, with our with our listeners this week. So first, why don't you just um, give us a, kind of a brief snapshot of what uh, what Liquid Church is all about, kind of where you guys are and and uh, how you got to where you are at this point. Sure. So Liquid is a non-denominational Christian church, and we are right outside of New York City. Uh, So right here on the East Coast, where people are like, are there really any Christians there? (laughs) (laughs) But we're we're the accidental church plant. That's what I talk about in the book. God tricked us. (laughs) You know, I I talk to so many, you know, church planters and leaders and say, what was your strategy? And I'm like, man, God completely hoodwinked us into this thing. Um, I grew up going to a small Bible church, very, you know, robust theology and teaching, but it was very dry, um, which probably helped inspire a little bit of the name Liquid Church. And, uh, you know, when people hear the name Liquid, I think they assume we're either a cult or a drinking fraternity. (laughs) (laughs) But we tell them, you know, we named it Liquid for a simple reason. In uh, John chapter four and seven, Jesus calls himself the living water. And so we really believe church should be refreshing. And that's the most important key in reaching spiritually thirsty people like we have here on the East Coast. Amen. Amen. I love that. And and in your book, uh, which is entitled Liquid Church, uh, Six Powerful 
Currents to Saturate Your City for Christ. Um, it's a new book being released. Absolutely love the book. And in the book, you share the story of Liquid Church. So if you guys are curious, we're not going to be able to get into, uh, on this episode at least, um, all the amazing God moments as as your church has unfolded. So if people are curious, I, I encourage you to, to grab the book and read through that. But I also love um, how you frame the idea of, uh, and you even mentioned it, the thirst that people have, and you go back to Ezekiel, and, and and you just kind of share this whole beautiful picture of what you said about refreshment, that indeed mm. that Christ is what refreshes our dry lives. And there are so many people who are living in these dry places and many times don't even realize how, how parched they are. And um, so I love just kind of the perspective that that your church has taken there in New Jersey. And as you said, it's an accidental church plant. There are lots of uh, funny stories that you share and interesting stories you share <laughs> about that. Um, and clearly, I love the story about the two young ladies um, sipping martinis who make their way into your uh, into your worship oh, gathering. Yeah. Awesome story. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, if you could just kind of share a, a little bit with us about this whole idea of you know, the saturation strategy that you have, this idea that, you know, and how God got you to that point of, of you really sharing the living water of Christ and what that, what that looks like and how that's unfolding uh, there in New Jersey. Sure. Well, the book is based on Ezekiel chapter 47, like you mentioned, and it's one of those prophecies in the Old Testament that I think it's easy to kind of read over and say, oh, that's kind of strange, interesting, not quite sure what it means. But you know, in synopsis, essentially, Ezekiel sees the temple. He has this vision of the temple, and there's water leaking out from underneath the threshold. And he starts tracing this. So imagine a church, and now water is flowing out of it like a liquid church. And so Ezekiel traces it, and at first, it's only about an inch or two deep. It gets up to his ankles. But then as an angel leads him further, it gets up to his knees. And then he waits further. It's up to his waist. And the further he goes from the church out into the streets and into the city, the deeper it gets mm. and until it almost sweeps him away. <laughs> and everything that the river coming out of the church touches turns to life. In other words, it flows all the way into the Dead Sea and all of a sudden the brackish waters of the Dead Sea begin gurgling and boom, it's filled with fresh water. Now there's, you know, it's swarming with fish and fruit trees along the side of the riverbanks. You know, the, the fruit uh, is for the healing of the nations. And it's this amazing, very inspiring picture, I think, of the New Testament church flowing freshly in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But, but what's fascinating to me is that the farther away God's spirit, the river flows from the church, the deeper it gets, mm. right? So as kind of modern evangelicals, we often think, well, you know, I want to go deeper. And so that means we've got to, you know, the people who are here in the church, we need to go deeper. But actually, the vision is just the opposite, saying actually the deepest ministry will come when you flow with the Holy Spirit, taking the living water of Jesus Christ, the gospel, All right. to the people who are farthest from him, maybe even far away from church. They, they're, they're the over church, you know? Around here in New Jersey, New York, we don't have as many unchurched people who would say, uh, who is this Jesus you speak of? You know, they, right, right. they're not starting at zero. They're actually starting at negative four <laughs> <laughs> because they grew up, um, you know, maybe going to mass. We have a, a lot of folks who grew up Catholic. 
I know a Spurgeon, certainly. I have many Catholic friends and, and uh, brothers and sisters. My wife went to parochial school. But they kind of checked out mm-hmm. because there was this kind of more religiosity around it. And again, right. I grew up in a Protestant non-denom church, but it was very much a head knowledge of Christ. We studied the scriptures, memorized the verses, but there wasn't this engagement with the culture. And so it was actually the opposite. It was kind of like, well— you know, lost and thirsty people are out there. So let's bring the drawbridges of the church up because we have our holy huddle. Right. And maybe if one of them meets Jesus, we'll let them in. (laughs) But in Ezekiel's vision, it's the opposite. It's let's let the drawbridge down, let it flow out of the church and go to them saturating our cities for Christ. So that's really where the concept came from. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So tell us a little bit specifically, because I, I love how you just in your own prayer time in pastoring and, and how God kind of began to give you this um, this bigger vision of, of saturating and how that plays out in your context, you know, thinking of uh, the state of New Jersey. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how God kind of pushed you and gave you this this vision that, that you knew that the only way that you could ever step into it is if God shows up. Yeah, that, that's one of the way, things we like to say, you know, attempt something only so big that unless God shows up, it's bound to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we made a lot of mistakes along the way. We Again, we didn't start out with this BHAG or, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal. But now we do have a BHAG, a big, holy, audacious goal. <laughs> uh, the vision of Liquid Church is to saturate our state with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So New Jersey is one of the smaller states in the nation, but it's actually the most densely populated. Mm. Uh, Nine million people all jammed into this, you know, New York City metro area. And um, we started the church, again, in a a basement of a 150-year-old Baptist church with 12 friends and mismatched folding chairs, drinking stale coffee, you know, (laughs) (laughs) classic kind of, you know, uh, young adults kind of like Sunday school class. But, you know, we've been on this rocket ship ride. Uh, We have seven campuses now. Um, About 5,000 people uh, come on the weekends. And what's really cool about it is it's not just, um, you know, overchurch Christians who are finding their way back to a more contemporary church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we baptized about uh, 2,400 of them. So this wow. is genuine conversion Version, yeah. growth, not just kind of shifting sheep, as it were, you know, right, with other right. churches. <laughs> you know, I talked to so many church leaders, and that's the thing. I think people talk about church growth, but much of it is just church swelling. You know, it's right, like right. we're not really— fishing for men and women were kind of keepers of the aquarium. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, swap your Nemo for my Dory. And <laughs> it's not really growth. But um, God surprised us with this because it did not start out with that kind of vision. Um, we uh, were just, my wife and I said, you know, let's let's start, you know, lead this Sunday school class in this older historic church. There were only 12 other 20-somethings at the time. But what we're seeing real traction with now at our campuses is with millennials and Gen Z. And so much of it we're finding really comes from reversing the evangelism paradigm. Um, That is, I grew up and it was kind of, you know, run the bases, uh, you know, it was my friend, even Rick Warren, right? One of the early pioneers who inspired so many of us. Um, But our discipleship path growing up was very linear. Uh, well, you know, you you come to Christ, then then you join the church membership, then you take a doctrinal class, understand what scriptures say, then, you know, your ministry. And then maybe, you know, if you really are growing, we'll send you on a mission, uh, you know, bring clean water to, you know, thirsty families in Africa. Well, we're finding a lot of millennials want to belong 
before they believe. Mm -hmm. In other words, they want to slide headfirst into third base. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like literally, I I just said that to Rick the other day. I was like, our our people want to run the bases uh, in reverse. reverse. Yeah, yeah. Because they want to experience first the living water. They want the demonstration of the gospel before the proclamation. In other words, we have to earn a hearing now in a post-Christian culture Mm. with our deeds before our words are welcome. That's good. That's a good word. Tim, as you... uh, Let me say this. One of the things I really appreciate um, in your book, just knowing you as, as a friend and just your heart is... You don't you don't kind of come at at the whole idea of church from hey you know we have a, we you know we're we're a big church doing big things and you really have you really remember what it was like to be a dozen people in the basement of a church like yeah. like you have a, an affinity and a real connection with with people that are pastoring churches of all different sizes in all different contexts with all different challenges right it's um which Absolutely. which i love and it's so encouraging and i know you do a lot of um you know you do coaching there in the northeast with uh different pastors you have a coaching network up there and and other you know people who are planning churches or in established churches and and you really have a heart to see that kind of that refreshment that you talk about of of Jesus Christ and, and the gospel and the Holy Spirit um, come alive in, in churches of all all different types. Uh, Absolutely. Which yeah. I love. You know, I yeah. think that's the exciting thing about being a multi-site church. Uh, we, have, we have campuses and congregations that range anywhere from, you know, 250 to 2,500. Right. And so whenever I visit those campuses, it's not like, oh, I remember that. No, we are in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're, you know, half of our campuses are portable. We meet in school auditoriums. We, we've we met, you know, pretty much everywhere. Hotel ballrooms, movie theaters, you name it. We've had church there. <laughs> and so I'm not like removed from the day-to-day grind of, uh, hey, did the roadies show up? Do we have enough gaff tape? Uh, right, we right. lost a road case. I don't know where the kids checking thing is. It's broken. So <laughs> we're all in it together as a kingdom uh, team. Yeah, I love that. I love that perspective. That's that's awesome. So a couple of things. One thing that I, that I do want to kind of touch on is you have a unique story about how other churches that maybe were not seen as much um, kingdom growth or or they are kind of plateaued a little bit stagnant perhaps. Um, saw what your ministry was doing, saw what your church was doing, and said, hey, we would like to be a part. C- can you talk to us a little bit about about that? Oh, yeah. This is, I think we're living in an unprecedented moment in church history. There is a generational transfer happening. Um, again, I think most of your audience, other fellow pastors, leaders, this is universal. It's not East Coast, West Coast, or Midwest. This is everywhere. We're finding a lot of historic churches that potentially had been once thriving um, in the maybe, you know, 60s or 70s, even 80s, started plateauing a little bit in the 90s, uh, bleeding out in the early 2000s. And now they're closing their doors, Mm. you know, uh, tragically, um, as my co-author Warren Bird, you know, points out, 3,600 churches close their doors every year. Yeah. Uh, in North America. And again, it, it there's so many demographic things that have to do with that, but oftentimes the neighborhood has changed, um, the culture has changed, but the church hasn't. And they've kind of stood their right. ground and said, no, we're not going to change. And and so I talk a little bit about how at Liquid, we're, we're closed-handed about the message. The gospel never changes. Right. That's timeless. But we're open-handed about our methods. 
we have to be constantly evolving in order to reach the minds and hearts of the next generation. So we had this kind of God moment where we were approached. We had just uh, we had two campuses, three campuses at the time, all portable. And so, again, just, you know, it's guerrilla church planting, right, you know, right. set up, tear down the whole thing and scraping by, you know, month to month. And we were approached by a 191 year old gospel uh, chapel. It's called Mountainside Gospel Chapel in central New Jersey. And it was amazing because because uh, my co-author, Warren Bird, uh, I had had him come out to speak to our staff and he handed me a book. Um, written by himself and uh, and Jim Tomberlin called Better Together, yes, making church mergers work, and it's kind of the you know go to reference book on ministry mergers. But I hadn't heard of it at the time, and he said, Tim, don't be surprised if at some point you are approached by another maybe more older historic church um, about merging. And I'll be honest with you, Jason, I, I, I told Warren this. I was like, oh, OK, thank you. His book just came out and I took his book and I put it on my stack of, you know, 15 other books in the on deck circle. You're right, right. <laughs> yeah. That I got to skim at some point. Well, the next morning, I kid you not, less than 24 hours, the next morning, 6 a.m., Mike Leahy, who oversees all of our campuses at Liquid, gets a phone call from the head elder at um, Mountainside Gospel Chapel. And he says, hey. I know this is out of the blue, out of nowhere. Would you guys ever consider merging, letting us become a campus of liquid? And we were shocked. <laughs> Mike, you know, Mike says, I just got this call. And I'm like, where's that book? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, you can't plan that. This is a Holy Spirit moment. Yep. And I always remind our team, I'm like, just make sure you understand the, the message of humility in that. God knew we weren't smart enough. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So he sent a prophet, Warren Bird, <laughs> to, to give us the instruction manual. Oh. And um, and so it was really exciting because uh, we just became such quick friends with the, the, the seniors there. Most of them were in their uh, 60s and 70s. Uh -huh. And the church, 191 years old, had been a thriving, real big part of the Sunday school move movement right. in the 70s and 80s. I think a robust church of about 400 people, it had dwindled down to 17 seniors. Wow. And so they said, we are either going to have to close our doors, um, but the spiritual legacy we've had here for 191 years will be lost. Mm. And and that's the tragic thing. And I know uh, with so many pastors, leaders listening, you can think right now in your neighborhood, right. in your community of churches that you drive by every day that you're like, I wonder if they're even open anymore. Mm. And so many of them are on this verge of, of literally shuttering their doors forever. And in our area, of course, the property gets sold to bake into condos or a supermarket or here in New Jersey, a bagel shop, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, they said to us, uh, I said, well, you know, have you been to Liquid? And they said, oh yeah, we hate your music. <laughs> <laughs> they were very honest, very honest. They said, it's too loud for us, but you're baptizing our grandchildren. Uh, and so those heroic seniors, and again, they're my spiritual heroes. There's who I want to be when I grow up. Right. Uh, we read that book together in uh, 30 days. And in 33 days, those 17 seniors unanimously voted to donate their entire church, the building, property, missionaries, all their assets to Liquid. And it became our fourth campus, our first permanent building. Mm. And when we opened it, it went from 17 seniors to a thousand families on opening day. Wow. Uh, and many of them millennials, Gen Z. And so it was this amazing kingdom miracle. Only the Holy Spirit could make it happen. 
But to see those those generations uniting and coming together uh, to do something, I think that is something that a current that the Holy Spirit is doing all across North America and in Canada. Yeah, that's beautiful, brother. I, I love that story, and I know that God's continuing to do that with Liquid Church and in New Jersey. And that that's one of the six currents— um, that you write about in your book. And um, I know I kind of uh, jumped ahead to, uh, I think that's what you or something <laughs> in the in the acronym <laughs> there. Um, but anyway, right. let's, let's um, if we could quickly, because I think this, this would be helpful to our listeners, if we could walk through these six currents that you've kind of identified. And, and I know that they, they just kind of go in order. So if you could yeah. just kind of touch on them and maybe we'll dive um, deeper into another one as well. Yeah, so, you know, out of that river, that we see in Ezekiel 47, which P.S. we see again in Revelation. Yeah. <laughs> the river of the water of life flowing down the center street of the city, of the heavenly city. It's a beautiful picture. What we did is we broke that down really into six currents that form a powerful river that we see God kind of uniquely blessing here, uh, you know, as we're approaching 2020. Uh, and so we use the acronym LIQUID to um, to represent it. L is love the overlooked. There's the current of special needs. That is an explosive area of ministry that has grown like gangbusters. In our church, through word of mouth, it's just something unique God's doing, particularly among millennials. Um, I is ignite the imagination, which is all about visual preaching. Um, you know, I think everybody realizes our culture is officially, it's a TGIF world, uh, Twitter, Google, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. And in many ways, again, and I'm a, a preacher, right? Every every week I got to stand up there for 40, 45 minutes. Um, but like the day of the word-based sermon where you're just kind of in a monologue are over. Mm. And I'm kind of calling for this, you know, revolution in what the sermon really is um, using visuals, using multimedia and really engaging what is now, I think, a post-literate culture. Mm. Um, Q is quench their thirst. It's the power of compassionate cause. Um, true to our name, we're called Liquid Church. Um, our signature global cause is bringing clean drinking water um, to the thirstiest people on the planet. So um, we talk a little bit about how when I grew up, there's that menu of missionary options, right? There's 15, 20 different causes maybe a church give itself to, but we're seeing the Lord use in a unique way churches. And I give a lot of examples. There's, you know, as you know, from the book, there's examples of over 40, 50 different churches across North America um, who are doing cut edge things. But what we're finding is many of them are focusing on a singular cause and drilling deeper rather than wider. Mm Mm-hmm. The last three, real quick, are Unite the Generations. I mentioned ministry mergers. Uh, I inspire generosity, which is really about guilt-free giving. Um, For my first few years as a pastor, I avoided talking about generosity or giving because growing up, there was so much baggage attached to it, Mm -hmm. Uh, guilt, duty, obligation. But we're actually finding that the rising generations love the idea of generosity, but the church itself has to model it to them. And so we talk really about many of our innovative kind of outreaches that we're doing with the community, whether it's hosting a free market where we give away our stuff for free instead of a flea market where we sell our junk for (laughs) top dollar. But we're like, we want to we we want to show again, proclaim the gospel with our deeds first. And so when we're, you know, giving away our best to single moms or immigrant families, it's just such a powerful um, evangelistic witness so that as our 
funds flow out, we're actually seeing people flow in, which is a very interesting current now uh, in, in a post-Christian culture. And then the last is just develop uh, hidden talent in your church. Um, this is the one that whenever I talk to, to pastors and church leaders, they, they, they go, wait a minute, did I read this right? Um, one third of our staff are actually volunteer staff. Um, we have about 150 folks, 50 of them are high capacity marketplace leaders who don't have any intention necessarily of leaving their job in the secular world. There might be a lawyer in New York, um, but on the weekends, they are associate pastors on our staff who do spiritual care, weddings, funerals, and they donate to the church 15 hours a week of leadership horsepower. So again, for a pastor, I do remember the days of being the only guy uh, <laughs> on staff and I didn't just preach the sermon. I was making PowerPoint slides and <laughs> Comic Sans font, you know, and right, right. <laughs> all that stuff. But, you know, today what we're finding is it's not about hiring more staff. It's about developing the hidden talent that's sitting in your pews this Sunday. They're there. They want to make a difference. But how do you create a leadership pipeline to replicate kingdom leaders at every level? Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. I, I love all those currents. I want to... Um, uh, touch on uh, maybe one or two in our in the time that we have left. First, though, I, I love um, the very first one. Love the overlooked. I, I just uh, I think the story um, that you've shared is powerful. How you you guys kind of looked at your context. You know, you looked at what was going on around you and spent some prayerful, thoughtful time examining that. And out of that. Um, you saw some some really important needs that really kind of set your church on a on a trajectory and um, just a way of approaching ministry that that's absolutely beautiful. So can you just talk to us a little bit about um, that whole idea of uh, loving the overlooked and, and how that happened for sure. you guys? Well, I mean, you read of Jesus and his ministry really begins on the margins. So when we say love the overlooked, we see Jesus demonstrating that, right? He right. goes to the lost, to the, the the crippled, the blind, the poor people with what we would actually say are special needs. And for us in our context here in the Northeast, um, children with special needs is a massive opportunity for our church. Um, it surprises some people to learn. Uh, New Jersey has the highest rate of autism in the nation. And uh, the national average is about one in 59, but here in New Jersey, it's one in 34. Wow. And, you know, again, people are surprised, but they say, why is that? You know, some people are like, well, is it, you know, it's proximity to, you know, chemicals and the environment. But the reality is, um, as a state, we have very robust social services. And so a lot of families are moving here, um, even from overseas, when their child receives a diagnosis of, say, Down syndrome or Asperger's or ADHD, um, they're coming to New Jersey. Our point is, we don't really care about the uh, the cause. We just see a huge opportunity to minister the love of Christ to these families. Mm. Um, there's many accommodations that are being made today now in schools, but churches, honestly, Jason, we're like 20 years behind the yeah. movement of the culture. And it's a it's a sad thing. It's not, I don't think anything comes out of any intentional neglect. I think most well-meaning churches are like, hey, we can barely get enough, you know, teachers or group leaders to staff our existing kids program. Mm -hmm. How can we deal with a child with, you know, profound developmental delays? Um, well, again, this is for so much of what we've seen God do and write, write about in the book. It's really the Holy Spirit who created this. 
Um, there was a woman in our church by the name of Susie Soares and her son, Ethan, a um, wonderful uh, young man. Uh, he was about seven years old at the time when they came. He had Asperger's, so he was on the kind of on the spectrum, but he had no verbal communication skills. And she said, what do you have for him? And, you know, the best we could offer is we could have somebody sit with him. And again, the, the best ministry, I think, is born out of the personal pain in a leader's life. And Susie said, you know, I, I feel like we could do better and I'd love to help with that. And so, again, she was just a lay leader and we empowered her. And we began finding that so many millennials have a heart because they've grown up in inclusive classrooms. Right. So they understand that actually, hey, a non a nonverbal child, yes, needs one on one companionship. Uh, but guess what? Just because there might be a learning uh, a deficit there, they still have spiritual capacity. They have a soul that needs shepherding and we need to introduce Jesus to them in a language they understand. Well, fast forward. Um, our special needs ministry has grown so rapidly. We can't actually keep up with the growth. Um, what God did is he really um, cultivated through Susie's leadership. We now have a one-on-one -on -one buddy program so that when a family comes to liquid with a, a child with special needs, we actually pair them up. We do a whole kind of intake interview, get to know the child, and then pair them up one-on-one -on -one with a buddy. That's a trained caregiver, somebody who's tailored to their needs. And we provide the training. They don't have to do it as a, you know their occupation or anything. That will travel with them through the elementary years, through middle school, mainstream in the classroom, and even in worship when they get into the senior high. Uh, because again, so many special needs families don't even bother going to church. Right. Uh, they, it's just overwhelming for them. Right, they, right. They, not only are maybe no capacity to help their child, but you know they go into the service and it's loud. Uh, many of these kids have auditory uh, overstimulation. Uh, you know, in our church, there's sometimes, you know, lights and, you know, the music is loud. And so we've really tried to tailor all our environments to, to help these families. And we see it as this beautiful, beautiful expression of the father heart of God. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had a, um, a moment in Panera, um, you know, Panera, the soup and sandwich place, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, so I'm, I'm in there one day and I'm just, you know, having a, my quiet time actually with the Lord and I'm reading through second Samuel and I come on chapter nine and there's this beautiful story. Again, there's some of these like minor stories. I think in the Bible, we kind of sometimes gloss over and say, I'm not sure what that meant, but it's really after King David rises to power and he settles all his affairs. So he's now the unrivaled, you know, military muscle and leader of the of Middle East at the time. Um, he has, you know, Saul is dead. And the first thing I'm reading through this and King David sits on his throne. And the first thing he says, he says, is there anybody left from the house of Jonathan to whom I can show kindness for the Lord's sake? And it's amazing to me, like, you know, his first royal decree is not like, hey, let's throw a party for me. <laughs> is there anybody left? And they go get this kid named Mephibosheth. I don't know if you remember this, but yeah. it's this beautiful story. And it's the Bible simply says Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. And so he was crippled. He had a special need, that is. Mm -hmm. And um, in those days, of course, there's no, you know, handicap accessible ramps. There's no wheelchairs. There's no aids. There's nothing. Right. And Mephibosheth is brought before him. And I think he's thinking, you know, well, King David's going to settle scores because I'm the grandson of Saul, <laughs> his arch enemy, right, who chucked spears at David's head. So he must be ready to, to settle scores. And it was just beautiful. Um, King David basically says to Mephibosheth, he says, as long as I sit on this throne ruling over Israel, 
you will always have a place at my table. Mm. I will treat you like one of my sons. And again, that just grips me even now. I'm choking up on yeah. it because I'm, that's the heart of the Lord, you know, that he sees somebody who is honestly in Old Testament times, Mephibosheth said, I'm, I'm like a dead dog. Mm. I'm good to nobody. Mm. In fact, in the temple, he couldn't even approach the temple because he'd be considered uncleaned, right. you know, with his disabilities. Nobody can come who can't. And here's David, and he says, I'm going to wield all my power to make a place at the king's table for this child with a disability. Probably a young man at the time. And I just, I'm in, I'm in Panera, Jason, and I'm like eating my tomato soup, and <laughs> I'm just weep, weeping into my soup. <laughs> uh. I just, you know, when the Lord just, boom, yeah. it was like right to my heart. And uh, I put on my sunglasses because I'm like, people are going to think I'm nuts. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> eating my soup and I'm crying in the Panera. I felt like the Lord say, Tim, you make a place at the table in my house. Give them a, 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 a VIP seat, mm. uh, the royal treatment in my house, and I'll be with you all the days of my life. And I just said, Lord, I want to hear it. I want to give myself to it. And so we've just seen the Lord put his hand on our special needs ministry it's exploded. We we don't just do the one-on-one -on -one buddy training on Sunday mornings. We have parents' night out every month mm. where um, our people, again, an outreach to the community. You don't have to come to the church. Right. Special needs parents are often so overwhelmed. So we say, hey, once a, a month on Friday nights, drop off all your kids, not just your child with special needs, but their typical brothers or sisters. And then mom and dad, you go out to dinner, go on a date, go see a movie, take a blessed nap, you know, You're right, right. Uh, because they're it. a chance to replenish. All of a sudden, our church becomes an oasis for families who are in need. So it's really been a special, special thing that the Spirit's done organically in our church. Man, that's so beautiful. I absolutely love that story. And and it just um, just the heart behind it all. And uh, it's just uh, just absolutely beautiful to to hear and even in your voice as you're telling the story, it's uh, it's powerful, brother. I absolutely love what God's doing in Liquid Church, and and I'm so thankful that uh, you took the time to put some of this, capture some of this, um, how God's moving and how God's been at work, uh, not only in your church, but as you said in, in the book, you you talk about different things going on in churches all over the place, which uh, and yeah. celebrating those things as well. So. Tim, it has been such a pleasure to have you with us, brother. Um, love you, love your heart, and uh, literally, we could talk for uh, you know we could do multiple, multiple episodes, and so we'll have to have you back and and dig in a little more on on some of these other things that God's doing. Um, but if people want to learn more, learn more about uh, the book, um, or your ministry, your church, or if they like to connect with you, um, how how can they best do that? Sure. They can learn more about the book. Just go to liquidchurchbook.com. And uh, there's there's all sorts of resources for leaders, um, downloads of study guides. I, I've talked to a number of leadership teams that said, hey, we want to walk our staff or our team through this. Yes. Um, and so we create some some uh, materials where you can do that discussion guides. We also have a small groups campaign um, that available, again, for free. Uh, we just want to give it away and get it into the hands of people. So Liquid Church Book. Dot com and then um, our church is easily found it's just liquidchurch.com <laughs> and uh, one of our things again is to give away like anything that the Lord has blessed here so um, we often resource pastors with you know sermon graphics all that stuff for free you know we were just really inspired by Craig Rochelle yeah and the open network yep. we said man that's our kingdom heart um, so we're like we give it away for free just wipe liquid church off of it put your church and you use it make it better and pass it along to the next guy or gal 
Um, so I, I just, again, uh, it's been a joy to be with you, Jason. I love connecting with other pastors and leaders online. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I'm on the gram. <laughs> Instagram yep. is kind of my uh, my place because I got teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's at Pastor Tim Lucas, L-U-C-A-S, at Pastor Tim Lucas. And uh, I'd love to connect with anybody, uh, you know, out there and uh, compare notes as we learn from each other. Awesome, brother. Love that. And we'll have links to all of that, um, liquidchurchbook.com, and then, of course, liquidchurch.com, your church, and uh, your your Instagram on the show notes. So if anyone wants to check those out, they can get those there. But, brother, man, absolutely love uh, hanging out with you. I love, again, what God's doing through you and your family and through your church. It's just always so refreshing. Um, no pun intended, Liquid Church, right? So um, <laughs> There you go. <laughs> absolutely love it. So thank you for taking the time um, to, to be with us before you're flying out tomorrow to Rwanda for uh, more yeah. clean water wells, um, right. which I, I just right. absolutely love that. But thank you for making the time to be with us. I certainly appreciate you, brother. Uh, Jason, it's a joy. I love you and the whole church leaders team. I just thank you for your thought leadership, man. Like I, I think I told you, I listen regularly. And in fact, it's the perfect length when I play it on one and a half times speed. It's the exact um, minute to the minute commute between my my house and the church. So I'm a faithful <laughs> listener and big fan. Thank you for curating some of the best of the best out there, brother. I love that. Thanks, brother. Have a great trip. We'll be praying for you. You got it. I hope to see you in Colorado, my man. God bless. Sounds good. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.